I can't think of a better invitation for us than what we just sang. Come, let us adore him. I hope that's what we do here today. I don't think there's anything more fitting than a Christmas sermon on Christmas Eve. And I don't think there's a better text, more fitting than Luke chapter 2. The Christmas story on Christmas Eve. This is a text I had planned to teach in fellowship groups, but the more I looked at it, the more I studied it, man, the more it became clear that I wanted to preach it here. I hope that you will hear this very familiar story with fresh ears. And I pray God will give you fresh eyes to see his glory. I hope we will all guard against mixing in all of our traditions and sentimentalism into this familiar passage because I want us to really think about to do like Mary did, to ponder to ponder what's going on here, to ponder what I think is the most important night in history. That's what we're going to look at. And so let's pray for, for two things. Let's pray that God would help us to see and to praise his glorious grace and that he would be pleased to grant us and to restore to us the joy of his salvation. Let's pray to that end. Father, I do ask that you would be pleased to bless us in these ways today. That you would not let this familiar text be preached in vain. That you would show us your glory. And you would cause something to well up inside us, Lord, to praise you for your glory and to praise you for the grace that is demonstrated in this night 2,000 years ago. And I pray by the power of your spirit that you would produce that fruit in all of us, this joy, this great joy connected to you saving us, Lord. Please do that work. God, we, we need your help. We, we will, don't let this moment be in vain, Lord. Bring yourself glory. Bring us joy. And be glorified in our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went up to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them 
in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what The shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and all they had heard and as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Good. Five things I want us to ponder, to think about from this text. I want us to think about the moment in which this is happening. I want us to see and think about the miracles. I want us to see the messengers, and I want us to hear, man, I want us to hear afresh the message. And I want us to see and think about and also respond in the same way. I want to see the response that we see for all these things. First, let's think about this moment. Look at at verse 15. The The shepherds say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So the shepherds remind us the first thing we need to ponder, the first thing we need to remember is that this thing really happened. This is a moment in real history. Caesar Augustus really ruled the Roman Empire. He really ordered a census. This guy named Quirinius, he was really in charge of things locally. And there was a real couple from the town of Nazareth in Galilee who had a real baby in a little city called Bethlehem. This really happened 2,000 years ago. This is history. Now, none of this is unusual. Because Roman rulers, they kept track of their empire and people had babies all the time, right? This This is nothing unusual. And if you had been in Bethlehem that night, there would probably have been nothing unusual about this little peasant family in the cattle stall. 
make no mistake, this is a very special moment. And God, through Luke's historical account, wants you to see that. He wants to make sure that we don't miss the significance of this moment 2,000 years ago. It was a dark night. And I don't mean that the moon was not shining. It was a dark night for the people of Israel. Notice in verse 1, who makes the rules? It's Caesar. Not the son of David. As a matter of fact, there had not been a son of David on the throne for over 500 years. What happened? What happened to God's promise to David that one of his sons would rule the nations forever? It looks like that promise has been flipped on its head now. The sons of David are being ruled by the nations. And the king of Israel, quote, who's no more than a puppet set up by the Romans, he is an Edomite. He's a descendant of Esau, not Jacob or Judah or David. The priesthood is corrupt and political and the people they sit in darkness they sit in darkness they have not heard from God they have not heard from God since he last spoke through the prophet Malachi over 400 years ago heaven was sealed heaven had gone radio silent God was no longer Emmanuel it seemed God was no longer with us. These were the days of Ichabod. Because the glory, the glory of the Lord had departed the temple almost 600 years ago. It's a dark night. It's, it's as though the word of God had failed. There's no king, no real priest, there's no prophet. The holy of holies is dark and it's empty. And the chosen people of God live under the tyranny of foreigners and hypocrites. It's dark. But you know what? This thing happened. This is, this is exactly the, the context in which this thing happened. And it was miraculous. This moment in Roman history... This moment in Israel's history, this moment in redemptive history, a moment in Mary and Joseph's history, a, a moment when all of this, along with God's promises and along with God's providence, are all wonderfully and miraculously coming together on one silent night. The time had come. It's what it says. Time had come, and it was miraculous. Look at verse 6. I want you to think about the miracles, plural. Think about the miracles that are coming together in this moment. Look at verse 6. It says, while they were there, the time came. While they were there, where are they? How did they get there? Where, are they, where did they come from? While they were there... The time came. The time came for what? It says the time came for her to give birth. Well, how is it that she is even with child? How is it that 
Mary is with child since she's not married. She's betrothed, it says. She's just engaged to Joseph. She's still a virgin. How is Mary with child? How did they get here? Well, God did that. In the previous chapter, God sends an angel to Mary who says, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, God had, God had foreshadowed this miraculous birth many times through Mary's forefathers like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others, but this time it was different. This was more than God just granting conception. This was God conceiving without the agency of a human father. This child was the Son of God. The time came, it says. Verse 7, the time came and she gave birth. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. The Son of the Most High. From the throne of heaven to swaddling clothes in a manger. This was, this was the miraculous moment when Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This was the moment when God was manifested in the flesh. And it just so happened to happen while they were there, it says, verse 6. Nine months are up, right? And Joseph and Mary find themselves 80 miles from home. They're, they're from Galilee. They're not from Bethlehem. They're from Nazareth. How do they end up in Bethlehem when the time came? God did that. Matter of fact, the answer to how this birth just so happened to occur while they were there is found in Proverbs 21 when it says the king's heart. The king's heart is the stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wills. Is Caesar Lord? Nope. What Caesar meant for evil, God meant for good. See, through this registration or through this census, Caesar, he's measuring his glory by the size of his empire. And he's building a base in which he can uh, overtax his subject and build his own wealth while in the same event, God is actually saving the world by sending his son. This is how God works. So why did God steer them miraculously to Bethlehem when the time came? And this was to authenticate this baby as the Christ. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament Gospels is that incredible moment in redemptive history when the voice from heaven says, this is my son. This is my beloved son. 
And I want you to know that God is doing the same thing here. He is identifying His Son. He is authenticating His Messiah. And He's doing it through His prophetic Word all the way through history and through His absolute sovereignty over the affairs of men. You remember later when wicked King Herod hears the rumor that the king of the Jews has been born? What does he do? He asks them, where, where is he, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? You know, and they look it up and they say, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Here they are. 700 years earlier, God had promised that this son of David, this Messiah, would be born in David's hometown, Bethlehem. But, but that's not all. Remember Isaiah 9, which sounds a lot like the message the angels give here. It says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Mighty God. Where does Isaiah say that this messianic God child is going to come from? He says it's going to come from the land beyond the Jordan. He's going to come from Galilee. And then Matthew actually suggests that the Messiah would also come from Nazareth. Kind of like the Hebrew word in Isaiah 11 that says that there's going to be a little branch. Nazareth, that's what that means. From the stump of Jesse, this spirit-anointed king that God has promised is going to come from the little branch. And you should think, man, wait a minute. Is the Messiah supposed to come from Bethlehem, Galilee, or Nazareth? And the answer is yes. Gloriously, the answer is yes. I just want you to see the miracles in which God's sovereignty is bringing about God's grace. God puts His promises in the mouths of His prophets for centuries, promising to send a son to save His people. And God Himself conceives now that son in the womb of a virgin who are descendants of King David, yet peasants in Nazareth who live way out in the regions of Galilee. And then God rules over the hearts and the plans of the most powerful men in history and orchestrates politics to move this betrothed couple, great with child, to the city of David just in time that he would be born in a manger while they were there. And all to communicate clearly one thing. This is my beloved son. This is the Christ. Make no mistake, this is him. This is the one. The time has come. And all the promises of God have found their yes in him. Man, no wonder we sing, oh, holy night. most important night in history. And I hope every one of you in here loves the glory of the absolute sovereignty of God that the world seems to hate so much. I hope you love it. I hope you see it here and you, you glory in it because guess what? Without God's absolute sovereignty, His promises are meaningless. Without it, there's going to be no grace. Without His sovereignty, Romans 8.28 is nothing more than a bumper sticker or a plaque on the wall at your house. That's it. 
But God really can and God really does work all things together for our good and his glory. See it right here. And it all centers on this child born in a manger. And God is making it plain as day in the middle of the night. Look at the messengers in the next paragraph. Verses 8 and 9. God sends an angel. Not to Jerusalem. Not to the temple. Not to the priest. Not to the king. But to shepherds in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of the night. I want you to imagine that scene for these shepherds. They're, they're, They're out there chilling with the sheep. Looking at the stars, and then boom, they find themselves in the middle of a gospel theophany. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. Now I have no idea how stunning that moment was for them. I can only imagine, but one thing is for sure, Verse 9 says, they were filled with great fear. Megaphobia. Face down in holy terror at the appearance of one angel surrounded by the unapproachable light of God Almighty. Just take note in that. Encounters Encounters with the living God are not cute and cuddly. They are holy. These shepherds are filled with great fear. And the angel proclaims this message from God. And as soon as he delivers the message, the sky, it says, suddenly explodes with a multitude of angels praising God. Now, if that fear level was already at a 10... Where is it now? It's off the charts. And it's like, it's like all of heaven was hiding behind some cosmic curtain just waiting for the message to be announced and then the curtain gets ripped open and there's this unimaginable angelic roar giving glory to God. Now how overwhelming was that? How many angels are in a multitude? All of them? How loud was that roar of praise? How bright was the glory of God? But more importantly, think about why. Why? This is just a birth announcement. Why such a spectacular display? I mean, how many humans have been born? And how many had a birth announcement like this? This God-orchestrated moment in history tells you just about everything you need to know. This is the most important baby ever born. This is the most important news ever broadcast. This is the most important night in the history of humanity. So you better listen to the message. Hear me? You better listen to the message. What's the message? 
First thing you need to know about this message is from God. It's a message from God Almighty. The shepherds know it. Look at verse 15 again. They say, man, let's go. Let's go see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. What could be more important than a message from God? Verse 10 describes the message. Verse 11 is the message. Verse 10 describes the message as, quote, good news. And the news is so good that God, the one who's given it, he's expecting this good news to actually produce great joy. This mega fear is supposed to now turn into mega joy. And so the message is good news of great joy from God to the shepherds, but not just for the shepherds, because he says it is good news of great joy for all the people. That includes you and me. Now, we are so accustomed to hearing that, but that would have been a shock to Israel. Here we have the God of Israel announcing the birth of the Jewish Messiah. Nothing to see here for the Romans or the Greeks, right? Wrong. This is good news for the Roman. This is good news for the Egyptian, the Edomite, even the Hebrew of Hebrews. This is good news for all people. This is, this is peace on earth, not Jerusalem. This is peace on earth. This is good news whether you are rich or poor, slave or free, Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, first generation or even last generation, red, yellow, black or white. This is good news of great joy for all. Why? Because it's good news of God's global Savior. Look how simple it is. Look, look how simple the message from God is. The, the most important message in human history would not even fill up a whole tweet. Or X, or whatever you call it. Verse 11 is the message. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's it. That's the tweet. That's the, that's the message. That's the good news of great joy for all people. But man, don't miss this. The good news is not about a program. It's about a person. It's about a person. Forget religion for a minute. God is not giving you here, please note this, God is not giving you here a program to follow to become a better person. God is not laying out the steps and the religious hoops that you need to jump to in order to get to heaven. No, God is simply telling you that the mercy He has promised from the beginning has now come. That's different than every religion ever invented. 
God is not even announcing salvation. He's announcing a Savior for you. For unto you is born, what? A Savior. Not, here's how to get saved. But rather, here's the one that will save you. You see the difference? Here's the one that will save you. And his name is Jesus. Look at verse 21. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by an angel before he was conceived. Do you know that his name literally means salvation? Jesus in Hebrew would have been pronounced more like Yahshua. Which means Yahweh is salvation. This is what the angel told Joseph. You shall call his name Yeshua. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's his name. And, and let me show you something. Let me show you how beautifully and clearly God orchestrates this moment and he orchestrates this message in history, right? God provides both names. He provides a name for Jesus, right? He also provides a name for John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner. Well, guess what? John's name means Yahweh is gracious. Jesus' name means Yahweh is salvation. God is telling us, even in their names, the same thing the angels are telling us from heaven, and that is this, the advent of God's saving grace has come. It's here. Notice three titles. In the message, the most important part of it is these three titles given to this little baby. Savior, Christ and Lord. This is the message. Number one, the, that this baby is God's Savior. This is God's Savior for fallen humanity. Since Adam sinned in the garden, sin has done what? It's just ravaged the world. It's just ravaged humanity. Uh, humanity. humanity. We die because of sin. Sin and sorrow and shame and sickness and death. This is what rules the day. And then all of that leads to eternal damnation. I mean, where's the hope? You live a life of sorrow and then you spend an eternity in hell. Like, where's the hope? Man, how in the world is that going to get fixed? How are we going to be lifted out of this curse? How can sinners be forgiven and the dead in sin still live? Man, we need a Savior. And guess what? That God of grace, the Yahweh who is gracious, the very same day Adam sinned, God promised a Savior. He promised a son, one that would be born of a woman. And guess what? On this night, God delivered, literally, 
And God is saying, man, I got really good news for you. Listen, God is saying, I've got really, really good news for you. Your Savior has been born. He's come. He's, He's here now. He's come to save you. But then you look in the manger, like, how how can this little baby save anybody? Well, he's also the Christ. This is the Christ. This This is the promised son of David. See, so God promised Adam a son that's going to deliver us from the curse of sin. And God also promised David a son that's going to defeat all of God's enemies and going to rule God's kingdom forever and ever. And guess what? This baby is that son. God's own king that will forever rule the world in righteousness. No more tyranny, no more oppression, no more injustice, but never-ending shalom. Nothing but peace and rest and security and prosperity. But wait a minute, how can this little bankrupt baby do that? Well, he is also Lord. He's telling you everything you need to know. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ, who is the Lord. This is the Lord. I would argue that 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 Lord should be spelled capital L-O-R-D. Don't forget about who's saying this. Think about who's saying this message. An angel of the Lord, surrounded by the glory of the Lord. That's who's saying this. Don't you think an angel of the Lord knows when and where to use the word Lord? (laughs) Make no mistake, when an angel of the Lord calls somebody Lord, he's Lord. And what he means is, this baby is God. This is Yahweh. In the flesh. This is Yeshua. This is Yahweh is salvation. Remember Isaiah 9 again. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Mighty God. And the angels of the Lord know the Lord. And Isaiah saw what these angels saw. What did he see? He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what's going all around him? These angels, these seraphim, these six-winged, fiery creatures crying what? Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh the Lord. That's Jesus. God's Savior is God Himself. This is how you know that this little child's going to deliver us from the curse. This is how you know this little child can save us from our sin. This is how you know this little baby is most certainly going to defeat all of God's enemies and put them under his feet and reign with shalom forever. Why? Because this baby is God. This is the Son of God. This is why this is the most important night in history. And I don't want you to miss, like in this moment, we have this 
instantaneous fulfillment of all these things God had promised through the centuries. And yet, all these things that God had systematically dismantled over the last 600 years. Heaven had been silent for so long. Now, the heavens erupt with the good news from God himself. The sons of David, they'd been dethroned. Now, the greater son of David is born, soon to reign from the right hand of God. The priesthood that had become corrupt and ineffectual, now now here's God's eternal high priest who has come to offer himself as the once-for-all sacrifice and the one and only mediator between God and man. And the glory of the Lord that had long departed from the temple now fills the sky and fills this little baby in a manger who is Emmanuel, God with us forever. Man, no wonder the angels, they get it. No wonder the angels are praising God. This is an unbelievable thing. God has rent the heavens and come down to bring peace on earth by the blood of his cross. Now what should that do to our soul? What should it do to us? How should we respond? And I want you to know that's what the rest of this passage is about. How to respond to the good news of great joy. But before we look at the responses that are actually in this story, I want you to think about some that aren't in this story. Here we got God preaching the gospel from heaven. He proclaims his Savior has come. He declares the fulfillment of his promises, announcing the birth of the Messiah. And where does he do it? Not in Jerusalem. Not in the temple. Not in Herod's courts. Not anywhere near Caesar's palace. But in, at midnight... In a faraway dark field to a bunch of low-down sheep herders. The good news didn't even reach the ears of the proud. Let me repeat that. The good news didn't even reach the ears of the proud. And and Caesar would have laughed anyway, right? Caesar would have laughed anyway because he thinks he's Lord. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they would have scoffed. You know why? They don't need a Savior. They think they're righteous. And so let this be a warning. Especially to those of you that are here today. That keep on ignoring the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're here. And you know that you've been ignoring this gospel for so long. Let this be a warning. God is not obliged. God is not obliged to save you. He's not even obliged to warn you again. He's not obliged to offer forgiveness to you. You know, the most terrifying thing God can do is simply leave a man alone. and Just just let him go his own way and die in his sin. Hearing the good news of total forgiveness and eternal life in Christ is a privilege that not everybody receives. You better treasure this moment. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're here and you're tired of hearing all this gospel stuff about Jesus and sin, be warned. 
you're going to be reminded on Judgment Day how many times God graciously gave you the chance to be forgiven. Just realize this. You are not like Caesar. You are not your own Lord. You are not the master of your destiny. Christ is. This baby that was born this night, he is the one. Bow your knee to him today and be saved. Don't, don't think like the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Don't think I'm, I'm a pretty good person because there's no such thing in the sight of a holy God. You need a Savior. And the good news is He has come. And so you need to do what the shepherds did. Look at how they respond to this. They believed God. The first response we see in the shepherds is they believed God. God, they heard the good news and they believed it. And they believed it was the word of God, not good news from angels or aliens. They were like the Thessalonians. They accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is. This is the word of God. The Lord had made this known to them, just like he's doing today. He's making it known again through the preaching of his word. And guess what? They believed what God said. God said it. I believe it. They believed what God said. Like Abraham, they just believed God. It's not that they they didn't just believe in his existence. They believed his words. They believed a Savior for all people had been born. They believed he was the Christ. They believed that he was the Lord. They believed it all. Do you believe it? This is the only way to be right with God. This is the only way to be forgiven. Faith. Faith. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. You say, how do you know the shepherds believed? Well, just look at what they said. Look at what they did. Verse 15, it says, let us go. They heard it. and I mean, let us go. Let us go and see this thing that has happened. And guess what? Verse 16 says, and they went with haste. And they found him. You see that? Literally, they went with speed, it says. They believed God's Savior had come and they ran to him. The shepherds ran to Christ. You see that? This is what you do when you know you need a Savior. You run to him. You run to him. You don't run to the manger though. You run to the cross. You make haste to the throne of grace. And guess what happens there? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved respond like the shepherds they believed God they ran to Christ and then look what they did they shared it with everybody they shared this good news verse 17 they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child like Paul they believed and so they spoke They told everybody they met the good news. They talked about this child that was born. They believed the message and they shared it. You don't keep good news like this a secret. Beggars tell other beggars where to find bread. Even in this church, kids 
tell other kids where to find peppermints. You don't hold that kind of news to yourself. You tell them the good news. You bring them to the source. Sinners that are saved by grace, they point other sinners to Christ. This is what you do. But sadly, not everybody responds in genuine faith. Look at verse 18. you got the shepherds telling everybody they meet. He says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And at first that sounds like a decent response, but what's missing? Genuine faith. How do I know that? They didn't all run to Christ. They wondered at all these things the shepherd told them. They marveled at the story. Man, that is an awesome story. They, they were amazed by the miracles, but for whatever reason, they did not run to Christ for the right reason. Like the, the crowds later on that would follow Jesus around everywhere he went. Why? Because they loved seeing the miracles. They wondered and were amazed, and they loved the free bread from heaven. But they didn't need a Savior. Listen to the message again. It doesn't say, for unto you is born one who's going to make all your dreams come true. One who's going to make life easy for you. One that's going to make, make you rich and happy. No, he says, unto you is born a Savior. This is the one who's going to save you from all your rebellion against God and save you from your sins. So please, don't come to Christ for the wrong reasons. Don't come around church for the wrong reasons. Don't come for a miracle. Don't come to just to get yourself out of a bind. Don't come just to try to make your life better. Come to Christ to be forgiven. To be saved from the wrath of God that's upon you. And then worship Him. And then worship Him for that. Worship Him forever. Worship Him for His mercy. Worship Him for His grace. This is what the angels are doing. This is what the shepherds are doing. This is what Mary's doing. This is what people who hear and believe the good news and run to Christ, they do. They share it with everybody and they worship God. Look how Mary responds. Mary treasured these things in her heart. In the previous chapter, we see Mary believing. Chapter 1, verse 45. She's believing the word and then she sings. She sings. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Filled with delight. Filled with joy. And now she's hearing the message again from the angels through the shepherds. And it says in verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She pondered these things. She thought deeply about these things. Her mind was, was set on the things of Christ and her soul and her spirit rejoiced in this son, God's promised son. She treasured it in her heart. Do we do that? Do we ponder deeply the depths and the glory of the gospel? The fact that the Son of God actually came into the world because He loves you. Can you believe that? Do you ponder that? Does that just thrill your soul? He came for you. He came to be born just to die, bearing your sin. The Son of God. What greater treasure can a man have? Really, 
And we get so dull to it. Treasure Christ. We need to treasure Christ more. We need to ponder these things. We need to stop and ponder these things. It should fill our hearts with worship. It should fill our hearts with praise. This is what it did for the shepherds. Look, man, look at them. They, they glorified God wherever they went. This is what they did. They literally ran to Bethlehem sharing the good news. And then they leave town, verse 20, doing what? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It says they glorified God. They were exalting God. They were exalting His glory that they had seen. They were exalting the mercy they had heard about and exalting His grace. This whole purpose you were created unto the praise of His glorious grace. This is what they're doing. And it says they praised Him. They've given Him thanks that they, that, oh Lord, you, you revealed this to me. You revealed the gospel to me. You didn't have to. You sent a Savior for me. You didn't have to. You you came to save me. They're praising Him and they're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. It says, just as it had been told them. They weren't adding to it or taking away from it. They were worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And don't miss this. Even the angels who need no Savior are praising God more than anybody. Don't miss that. The angels who need no Savior are actually praising God more than anybody in the story. Just remember, only one angel proclaimed the message. The eruption from the heavenly host, that's praise. That's not the message. That's the response. Look at verses 13 and 14. The gospel's proclaimed, and then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That is not the message, that's the response. Just think about that. that. This euphoric praise from angels is about the salvation of wicked men. They're glorifying God for that. If they are that excited about it, how much more should we? If they are this stunned at the glory of God in the gospel, how much more should we? And what is it that's got this unrestrained awe just bursting out from heaven? They're praising God for his power and his faithfulness in fulfilling all these promises. They're just praising him for the the whole scheme, the glorious scheme of the gospel. And they're praising him for his humble condescension to become a man to save men and his sacrificial love and, and his mercy and making peace with wicked men by the blood of his cross and in his sovereignty of grace and saving those with whom he is pleased only. And they shout glory to God in the highest while the highest is made lowest as the fullness of deity dwells bodily in a manger. What a a scene. There's one thing in common. One thing in common in all these right responses to the gospel, and that is joy. Mega joy. 
The angels are ecstatic. The shepherds are thrilled. And Mary's heart is just overflowing with, with joy. And even God, the blessed triune God, I assure you, he is delighting in the announcement of his beloved son. This is why the gospel is called Good News of Great Joy. Happy. Appreciate what Dustin said this morning. Merry Christmas. Happy. Happy is the one whose sin is forgiven. Exult. Leap for joy in his salvation. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is what the gospel produces in a regenerate heart. May God give it to us. May those who love your salvation continually say, great is the Lord, even in the manger, especially in the manger. Let's pray. God, above all things, don't let us be dull to this glory. Please, Lord, rip the veil off our hearts and shine light. Show us your glory in the face of this baby in the manger 2,000 years ago, the one that rules now from heaven, the one who bled and died for our sins. Be glorified in your church. In Christ's name, amen.